0: Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. What a blessing it is to have uh, people stand up and sing for us this morning and lead us together. My name is Lionel Jellins, by the way, I'm an elder. And when I signed on as elder, what they didn't put in the fine print was, oh, you may be called upon to to preach from time to time. That was not in the deal. But God has a way of creating his own deal for us and giving those opportunities. So we all have our various ways of preparing and doing things that maybe is not our greatest comfort zone. So this morning I decided I'm gonna practice my sermon one more time and I got on my spin machine and I was spinning away and learning, getting two things at once and getting my exercise for the day and spinning it worked great. One of the reasons is I tend to speak without breathing sometimes. So when you're on your spin machine, of course you have to stop, breathe, speak, Spin, stop, speak, breathe, the whole thing. So I asked my wife whether it would be appropriate for me to bring my spin machine to church. i put putting it up here behind the pulpit, and she said, well, you know, maybe that's a bit much. If not, nothing, probably because of the tight shorts that I wear when I run my spin machine. So one last thing I'll tell you on preparation. This is probably going to ruin the whole effect, but I wanted to have enough energy in order to be able to preach this morning. So I went down to the donut place down the street, and they've got the best donuts and so I got this donut, so I'm being powered this morning by a holy donut. Oh. Okay, all right, let's get on with it. Uh, we're speaking, this will be the last sermon in our series on Ecclesia, which means a gathering. So we're going to talk about it, what it means for us to gather together in Christ and, and join each other in worship each week. And as we go along through the week, fellowshipping together. So let me start by praying, please, for us. Lord, please speak through me today. And convict my heart, Can give me the passion for your holy word and convict the, the heart of those listening to me this morning. Give them also a passion for your holy word as they listen to me this morning. Lord, give this congregation a way of applying our lesson for this morning, not just an interesting lesson in the Bible, but knowing actually how we apply in our life those things that you teach of us. And Lord, finally remove from my sermon this morning the me in my sermon and put you and your son Jesus there. In your son's name we pray, amen. So, I'm going to start by reading the scripture that we're going from this morning, which is in Acts 2nd uh, chapter, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's continuing up to this day. The Lord is adding to our numbers day by day. You all are evidence of this last part of our scripture. So the title of my sermon this morning is The Fellowship of the Believers. And um, I'm an engineer and I sort of like certain books about, anyway, one of my favorite books is by J.R.R. Tolkien, which is The Fellowship of the Rings. And the Fellowship of the Ring, as humans and elves and dwarves and even hobbit with furry feet, go off to defeat evil. And as they go off to defeat evil, they're attacked by all sorts of magical creatures and things that cause them to be together in fellowship together in order to work against evil. Similarly, we are in fellowship against sin, and we're going to be talking this morning about what it means to be a fellowship of believers. There's where we're going to start. So we're going to be talking about um, some 3,131 people that formed the very first uh, church, if you will, the very first fellowship that and who they were, and the, they in our conversation this morning will refer to them and ultimately to us. These folks, as we heard last week from Ellen, were devout Jews that came to Jerusalem as part of a festival to celebrate the first harvests, the first harvests of wheat. So wheat takes about, in this time and place, took about seven weeks to harvest, about 49 days, and hence they'd come about 50 days after the first harvest, and that was the Pentecost. These were devout Jews. These weren't just your ordinary Jewish people. These weren't the ones that stayed at home and rested after they had actually harvested the wheat. These were the ones who actually went and decided we're going to give thanks at the temple, and so they came from many places, far and wide. If you imagine the Jewish diaspora of people that had spread out during um, the, the when Jews were taken away from their homes, they were all over the known world. And it turns out because of the Roman uh, roads um, that had been put in a few hundred years beforehand, now. It was an opportunity for them to all come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest first feasts. So they were there. Perhaps the city of Jerusalem grew from 100,000 to 900,000. Who knows exactly how many? But it did grow as those people came in devoutly to praise God for their bounty. And a funny thing happened when they were standing there outside of the temple and Peter was speaking to them and talking about the gospel. All of a sudden, the Holy the Holy Spirit appeared. So from Acts 2, 1 through 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, Today, all I have to do is point to the tech booth back there and we can have that wind and we can have that noise and it would have the appearance of the Holy Spirit, but you can imagine they did not have that ability then. So, in fact, the Holy Spirit was there and counterpointed the sermon by Peter. If you will, 3,000 people came to be baptized that day. Imagine the first megachurch, the first huge altar call, however you want to term it. It was an extraordinary event and we are ultimately the result of those same people. So these are the people we're going to talk about when we talk about the fellowship of the believers. The initial fellowship of the believers are these 3,131 people that form the kernel, the basis of the church that we have today. What can we learn about these earliest Christians is the subject of our text And we're going to start with the very first sentence, the very first verse, which is in Acts 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The four disciplines that they devoted themselves were of apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and let me stop right here and get it off my chest. Some of us break more bread than others. I'll just leave it there, and then devoted to, devoted to prayer. So that's what the early church devoted itself to, and it speaks to our own devotion today as a church. They basically spent all of their spare time learning from the apostles together in fellowship, taking meals, and praying together. Devoted. So what does this devotion mean? They said they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the uh, apostles' teaching. Well, a devoted means to be focused on that particular thing almost exclusively. What do you focus on? And when it's devoting for a cause, you work to achieve the goals of that particular cause. When you're devoted to a person, you work to put that person above your own and follow what that person says. So all of us are devoted to some things, and we get a tremendous amount of excitement and joy and fervor out of our devotion to whatever those things in our lives are. For me, I've been married for 29 years, and I am very much devoted to my wife, mostly. No, all the the time. And uh, it's a wonderful thing for me. But I've also been a Boy Scout leader for 42 years. 42 years! That's older than almost all of you. I've been a Boy Scout leader... For 42 years, and in fact, last yesterday we had about 20 of them running around my house at our swimming party eating chicken wings dredged with barbecue sauce. So you have to be really devoted to allow a bunch of the uh, 11 to 18-year-olds running around your house with chicken wings. Anyway, um, also, I've been practicing my Spanish. I hope to be able to follow along with Matt Song in the future. So for 1,033 days straight, I've been doing my Duolingo lesson. So I am devoted to learning my Spanish and it's excitement, it gives me fervor and gets me love. And more and most importantly, I have been a Christian from thirty-one years, two months and seventeen days, and so I accepted Christ. And I am devoted to him. So it is with that joy and fervor that I ask all of us to focus on and devote ourselves to what it means to be the fellowship of believers. So Have any of you all ever been devoted to something in your lives? Think for a second. And what is it that you're devoted to? And when you think about that devotion to whatever those other things are, think about what that means to be devoted to Christ. Think about what it means to be devoted as believers. Four things. Four disciplines, we said, were mentioned in that very big sermon that was given by uh, Peter. The first was devoted to the apostles' teachings. Now, what are the apostles' teachings? The apostles' teachings are two things. They're, of course, Jesus' early teachings, the teachings that he had from his own ministry, as well as those taught by the apostles during the 40 days of resurrection thereafter. So those are the apostles' preaching, uh, teachings that were being shared amongst the early believers. Well, see, here at City of Refuge, yeah, we're still doing that too Um, don't quite have the apostles but we've got Darren and we've got Matt, we've got Elijah and in fact they are sharing the apostles teachings on a regular basis and if you're not participating in one of our adult Christian education classes, there's one way you can apply our sermon for this morning. You might want to consider doing so. Well, we also have community groups and community groups. We not only eat well and fellowship well, but we also study his word well. Again, part of our responsibility, part of our discipline of the, learning the apostles' teachings. In the Jewish church, if you were to go in the synagogue, what you'd find in the central part of the synagogue is, is the Torah and their scrolls. And in those days, 2,000 years ago, where people couldn't afford to have, uh, couldn't afford to have scrolls of their own, then there were no such thing as books, and there was certainly no such thing as the Internet. If you really wanted to go to learn the Word, where you would go would be the temple, where in the midst of the temple, in the midst of the synagogue were the Scriptures, their Scriptures, the Torah, if you will. Similarly, knowing the Bible in our own lives, being central to our life is an important thing. The Bible becomes, the Word becomes, our weapons and our armor in a, sin, in a sinful world. It provides us answers to our daily challenges. So holding and being a, having the discipline of the apostles' teaching is a central part of who we are as a fellowship of, of the believers. So let me see if I can give you an example of what that means and how you might use it. For me, one of the things I am discomfortable—not a word—uncomfortable about the most <laughs> is a CAT scan. I hate CAT scans, and if you don't know what a CAT scan, what they do is they take you and they stuff you in a tube. And meanwhile, this contraption makes all sorts of burping noises and scrunching noises and whatever, and it's quite a scary thing. So the very first time they put me in there, I lasted for 30 seconds. I said, get me out of this thing. I can't do it. The second time they put me in there, they said, well, we'll put some earphones on you, and you won't have to hear all the noises that are making. They put them on. They stuffed me back in there. I lasted maybe a minute and a half. Get me out of here. I can't do it. So I decided, well, what is the best armor I could possibly come up with that would help me deal with this uh, CAT scan, and in fact, it was scripture. For me, uh, the 23rd Psalm is the most calming thing I know. So I repeated the uh, 23rd Psalm, at least as much as I knew it, while I was stuffed in the CAT scan, and I got through it. And that's, that's an example of how I've used the word to help me in my daily life. How have you used it yourself, and how might you use it? Number two, united and devoted to fellowship. The Greek word that's used here for fellowship in the Bible means participation or sharing. Fellowship meaning participation or sharing, being together as Christians. And it expresses the idea of being together for mutual benefit. We are in fact in fellowship here, it is for mutual sharing and for mutual benefit. So over the last 18 months we've had a challenge, obviously the church, we couldn't get together Uh, in person to person and we had to wear masks if we will it's wonderful not to have to wear a mask all the time, isn't that great? But nevertheless, we weren't able to get together face to face. So as a church we decided what can we do to instill fellowship in this time where we can't see each other face to face, hoping and thinking that maybe getting on Zoom somehow would provide the fellowship that's called for in the Bible. So we have had, as you will, community group meetings on Zoom. We've had uh, sermons on Zoom. We even had a trivia night on Zoom, and all sorts of other things that we tried to do in order to instill a meal of a fellowship. And it just wasn't quite there. We enjoyed it, yes. We loved our fellowship online, but it wasn't quite wasn't intended there. In fact, we were so challenged by uh, COVID-19 and the need for fellowship that. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we as elders started holding four hour elder meetings once a month. And you know, we'd have 20 and 30 people listening to our four hour elder meetings. If that's not desperate for fellowship, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Because certainly, and what you don't know is we would then go on for another couple of hours after that because we were also desperate for fellowship. But nevertheless, we've been desperate for fellowship over the last hour, a year and a half, and it's wonderful to be back together. And one of the biggest challenges we have of being a presider, thank you, Mark, is getting everybody to sit down because we all want to visit with each other when we get here in the, morning, get here in the mornings. So we've been working that fellowship is important. The goal, however, is to stimulate each other to spiritual growth. That is the real goal. It's not just to get well-fed. It's to stimulate each others to spiritual growth. And, for example, in our community groups, we do that. It provides, for example, in our community groups, the right way to handle day-to-day problems. We talk about day-to-day problems and the challenges that we have and applications of the Word towards them. Communal interpretation of God's Word... We sit around the table, we look at a particular piece of scripture and we try to understand what that means, what does it mean to our lives. If it means something different to another person, we see that and we understand it and we try to internalize it for ourselves. We share our personal testimonies that parallel others. So I, when I was working, I went through this. This was the challenges I had. This I handled. This is what scripture says about it. And someone who's now dealing with that same challenge can understand and internalize it for themselves. So the testimony that we have in our, in our community groups is a big part of our fellowship. And then, of course, establishment of a consistent prayer and study life. Many of us struggle to have a consistent study and prayer life. Community groups are a good way to actually start that. One point, however, I want to make about fellowship, as wonderful it is as it is, is you can't fellowship by yourself. You have to be around other Christians to fellowship to actually work uh, for our mutual benefit. It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to be introspective. It's okay to be a listener during community groups or fellowship. You don't have to be out talking, talking, talking. But being engaged and being around and in fellowship with people allows you to understand exactly what it means to be a Christian and how to gird yourself against the challenges that we have. It also provides the perspective of other Christians, which guides us. So we're hearing and seeing other people's perspectives of their own faith, and it guides us, and it builds our own faith. I've been very fortunate that Shark and I have been in a community group for just, I guess it's some four years or something like that, but for quite a while. And talk about a buildup of faith. Talk about a buildup of understanding the word. Talk about the building up the ability to pray and to know God and to know Christ and know who he is and how we connect with him. It's really been very valuable for my life. And I suspect in anyone else who understands that fellowship is intended for that very purpose. Um, finally, if you don't even say a word, let's say you go to a community group, just sit there and just bask in the in the in the testimony and bask in the connections with other, you're still getting it. You're still getting the value out of it. So what is the application here? You find a way to connect and join with other Christians. It's necessary to build up our faith. It's, ne- it's necessary to strengthen us again, strengthen us against the sins and challenges that we have in an awful world. So what does fellowship look like? I thought I'd show a picture just just because it's one of my favorite pictures and let's see if you can bring up the the uh, uh, an interesting picture here. So my mom, uh, about oh guess' it's about three or four years ago, I brought my mom from Atlanta to live with me in her final years. and she was 92 years old at the time I brought her. And the very last day that we left Atlanta, um, she had uh, a session with not before that one. we right one. Well, we're going to get to the food in a second. Let's go back for a second. Anyway, bottom line is um, in the church I grew up with, there were no community groups. Instead, you joined a Sunday school class and you met with the same people in that Sunday school class day in, day out, weekend, week year in, year out. In my mom's case, she'd been a member of this church for 85 years and a member of this community, this Berean Sunday school class, for nearly 70 years. So the women that were around her, her women that they'd lived life together, they would raised their families together, they had dealt with the racism in Atlanta, Georgia, in those times together. They'd done everything and learned everything together. And these women, they sat around and they sang and they prayed and they cried and they laughed and they studied the word and they connected each other all the way up to, all the way up to death, if you will. That was what community and what fellowship meant. And her group, they used each other to protect themselves against the challenges of the world because they could always have testimony from each other and connect with each other. It's a wonderful thing. And I always look at that and say, that's what I want. When I'm old and decrepit and when I have lived out all my days and just at the end, I want to be able to look back and say, those people were around me and those people helped and supported me and those people helped grow my faith during that entire time. And that's what fellowship is all about. devoted to the breaking of bread. So many of you all might not know what it means to break bread. If you only eat Wonder Bread, it doesn't break very well. It may tear a little bit and you can ball it up and you can throw chunks of it at your brother if you're really young and that was really fun when I was a kid, don't do that kids. But, nevertheless, breaking bread in those days meant a more brittle bread. Think French bread, think crackers. And a devout Jewish family, before they started every meal, they would get their bread and they would break the bread, pass it around, and then they would proceed to eat. So when we say breaking bread, we're talking beginning the meal in in, in a way of connecting everyone together. Covering, when we talk about breaking bread from a fellowship perspective, we're talking about both the Lord's Supper and Fellowship meals, both, and i want to give some background on it. In the early church, partaking of wine in remembrance of the blood shed on the cross was certainly what they did uh, in the early church is what we do today in communion, breaking the bread as Christ's body was broken for us for our salvation, and they would break the bread in remembrance of Christ's broken body for us. As part of the meal, these Christians may have then, because they were fellowshiping there, they may have been munching down on their falafel and goat or whatever they ate, and um, they would stop to break the bread to remember Christ, to get the wine, pour the wine, to remember the blood shed for us. Traditionally, excuse me, and and there are other organizations that have similar um, things that they do. For example, in the British military. When a bunch of officers get together and have a meal, and there's usually wine and plenty to drink there, almost always towards the end of that particular meal, they stop and they toast to the health of the king, right? It's a ceremonial thing they do every time, just as we, when we break the bread as a fellowship of believers, we're breaking the bread in remembrance of Christ, whether it is we're having, doesn't matter what it is we're having for a meal, it's representative of the fellowship that we have for him. So um, let me show a couple of pictures and sort of give a different perspective of what it means to break the bread, just to sort of bring, to prove to you that we in fact have been breaking the bread. The first thing is, what's that, right? It's a church casserole. How many of you all have ever eaten church casserole? Perhaps bean casserole, uh, what is the, the um, um, King Ranch, tuna casserole, what have you. And you know, maybe it's sort of a key thing I'm saying, but actually sharing food, irregardless of what it is, is part of what we do as a tradition when we get together as Christians. Potluck dinners is part of being in church, part of being in fellowship. Next picture please. Hot pot lunch. Many of you, in fact, how many of you all like to go out to lunch or brunch with friends after church on Sundays? I know a number of people. We love to do that. We love to go out. In fact, I'm sure a bunch of you all now are planning, where, am we gonna, where are we going to go eat uh, this out, when we get out of here? Well, okay, maybe you can go and have a hot pot together, but it's another way of us gathering together in fellowship and enjoying each other, and we're already doing it. Next picture. Serve day. A few weeks ago, we all, a bunch of folks, got together and painted and worked around the church where it's Lee Morgan, helped Lee keep this place in order. Well, guess what happened at Serve Day? There were pizzas, a stack of pizzas boxes, and we ate together. We fellowship. Well, it, it sort of turns out that when Christians get together to fellowship, somehow the breaking of bread happens. <laughs> and there's a connection there, it's a connection that brings us together. And the final, final picture we're going, oh yeah, the community group potluck do that, too. In some, some community groups, one, poor, one guy has to do all the cooking, or maybe there a couple does. We won't go there, but nevertheless, community group potlucks is one way to bring food. And then finally, we do break bread together here during our worship services at least once a month in Holy Communion. Breaking the bread, right? Taking the wine in remembrance of him. It's an important part of being in fellowship. Devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer means that prayer is prioritized. It's not just something that's incidental. It's not just something that sort of you blindly go off and do. What we learned from the first century church regarding prayer is that it is intended to be our first response to things rather than a last resort. Right? So prayer isn't just after the fact, Lord, why did this happen to me? Can you help me out of this mess I've been in? But it's, Lord, thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. And, you know, what do you want for me to do? How am I going to descend where it is you want me to, and how you want me to act as a Christian? Devotion to prayer means that you have to have a disciplined mindset, a disciplined mindset to be devoted to prayer. So what's devotion to prayer and what's night? Let me give give you a few examples. Um, Lord... Find me a parking space. That's not being devoted to prayer. Um, Not just at meals times when we say grace, and maybe we say a few other things. So we say grace once, twice a day. That's not really devoted to prayer. Yes, we should thank him for the food that we eat, but being devoted to prayer means to have a pattern of prayer for prayer's sake. Not for any other sake, but for prayer's sake. Driven by a desire to communicate with God and hear what he has intended for us. That's what being devoted for prayers is about. So why prayer? Why pray? Because God tells us to pray. And God answers our prayer. Our needs of God's intervention are huge. So praying to God for him to intervene in our lives is a big thing. So being having that discipline, being devoted to prayer, is a big part of being part of the fellowship of believers so let me wrap things up and just say a couple of other things as that first verse verse 42 is so important pointing out to those four disciplines on who we are as a fellowship of believers but a couple of other things i'd like to mention in acts 2 uh, 40 the 244 to 45 it says um and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, much has been said about this verse, including the words, had all things in common. And in fact, the whole, there's only one mention in the entire Bible with regards to communal living, and that's here in Acts 2, 45th verse. The reality is to look at this verse and understand that uh, radical hospitality is actually a hallmark Of church ever since Pentecost, this radical hospitality of getting together and being hospitable to each other. Uh, It's certainly true also that uh, God has given us everything and they are all His resources, and we are the stewards of those resources. So the things that we have, our bank accounts and whatever, are really His. We're the stewards of them. And in fact, we make the decisions, uh, some of the decisions on what to do with them. Let's put this in perspective because these people here in this particular scripture suggest that they gave all of their belongings to the church, that they went down and sur- sold everything and gave them to the church. Now, they, of course, couldn't go to the bank and send a check because there were no banks. So if you needed to give some money to the church to give to others and you had to go and sell a pig, you had to go and sell some wheat, you had to do whatever in order to be able to do that. But nevertheless, the scripture suggests that they gave everything to the poor. But remember, these very same Christians had just heard directly from the Holy Spirit. If you heard directly from the Holy Spirit, if all of a sudden the wind starts blowing and it was loud and he was in in presence for us and it was irrefutable, what would you do? What would you do all of your, all of your belongings? It says that, Look to the Holy Spirit for directions on what to do with regards to giving others, giving to others. Recognize that as Christians, radical hospitality is a big thing of who we are. Radical generosity is part of who we are, as uncomfortable as it might seem. So this passage suggests a, a picture that points us towards radical generosity, self-sacrifice, and concern for others, and that is, in fact, who we are as a fellowship of, of believers. So, the application is: I hope that as you know, a little bit later, in our, and when I get finished here, you know, Mark's going to come up and he's going to say, "Well, you know, there's a QR code up here. You can give this to the church. Do a little bucket in the back. You give money." But what what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? That's how you make that decision. It's not my call or any of us elders' calls to say you've got to give as much money or whatever, but it is, in fact, your connection with the Holy Spirit to, to understand that as part of the family of believers, how can you demonstrate radical hospitality and how can you demonstrate radical generosity? Finally, distinct identity. Acts two forty-six to 47, the first says, and day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The point is that we do life together as Christians, as a fellowship of believers. And if we do, then we will build the church as God intends. And we will follow his instructions, which let's just use Matthew 28, 19 through 20 as an example. We will go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We'll do this as a fellowship of believers. And for those of us here at City Refuge, we'll also call and equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. So, today... We've talked about what it means to be a fellowship of believers. As Christians, we are called to teach, fellowship, pray, and break bread together. Together, in fellowship, as a church, we're called to radical generosity, radical hospitality. As guided by the Holy Spirit, he's our guide. And finally, as believers, we're called to share the gospel with all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful example of the early church who continually devoted themselves to four disciplines, apostolic teaching, Christian fellowship, the breaking of bread, and earnest prayer. And we look for the any day return of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we follow the wonderful example of these early members of Christ's body, and may we grow in grace and in a knowledge of you. As we seek to share the truth of the glorious gospel, of the grace of God with everyone we meet, in humility and love, in Jesus' name, amen.